The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Happy New Year, everyone. Normally, uh, I think that actually this is going to be the first year in seven years that I'm going to sort of break from this tradition, but for the first service of the new year, I almost always show sort of a year-in-review video uh, for the previous year, and 2016 was a doozy, wasn't it? It's, it's, it's amazing how many things happened in this past year, but I'm not going to show a year-in-review video because I'm going to show a different video a little later in the message, and it's a bit of a longer video, and so um, instead of cutting too much into the sermon time, I thought that, you know, just Google it if you want, and go watch your own year-in-review video, okay, if you really are upset and feel gypped, all right, that you didn't get one for this message, okay? Um, In the past, uh, historically here at ICC, what we've often done at the start of a new year is that I've preached on some aspect of the vision of our church. Uh, But I hadn't done that in the last few years. And so I thought starting in 2017, I wanted to sort of come back to this practice of beginning the new year by directing our attention to one of the aspects of our church's vision, our mission. Okay, Uh, So why don't we begin with a word of prayer, and we're going to do that as we look into the word this morning. Father, we thank you for getting us through another year. For some of us, it may have been a really great and awesome year with much to celebrate, and others mourn what had happened in this past year and really uh, grieve many things. And so we come to you still as one body, uh, one people, and with one heart, we want to give you thanks. And as we begin a new year, this 2017, we do want to commit it to you and just ask that you would be at work in our lives, whatever seen and unseen events that are going to be happening in, uh, in our world, in our lives, that's going to affect us, Lord. We, we just want to have the heart of faith that's going to keep trusting you so that our faith would not waver, but that we would remain steadfast in living the life that you have called us to, both individually and as a church family. And so we open up our hearts to the things that you want to say to us uh, about what you would desire of us in this coming year as we seek you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I guess Andy has given us the theme for this year, uh, failing together, okay? So let's, let's, uh, let's make that uh, our model this year as we walk into 2017, recognizing our humanity, the fact that we are all fallible, and yet there is God's grace that sustains us. Um, those of you who are with us in our previous location in Schaumburg, before we relocated here to Wheeling uh, last year, uh, will probably recognize these banners, that we used during those days. They were arguably the most recognizable part of uh, our setup for the Sunday service each week. Uh, it's kind of funny because uh, these, these things were mechanically not the best designed, and so they were breaking on us all the time, and so I felt like on any given month, one of them was off for repair at the sign store. And it got to the point where I think we just got tired of repairing it all the time, and so we started to just let them fall apart so that in the last month, I think we had one banner left you know, that we were putting up, and even that one was barely holding together. If you cannot see actually what they say from this photo, um, this is a better view of it. 
We had three banners that really represented the vision of ICC. The first one was about life-giving, a life-changing gospel, the way that the gospel transforms who we are. And then we talked about a life-sharing community of how this life that we have in Christ changes um, the people that we're surrounded by and our understanding of what the church is. And then the last one is life-giving mission. What is our purpose in life? What we are called to as we engage with our community and the larger world around us. And all three of these statements center around Jesus' words in John chapter 10, verse 10, in where he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When Jesus talks about abundant life in John chapter 10, verse 10, he isn't simply talking about getting to heaven when we die, but he's referring to the entire transformation of the quality of life that a believer who knows Jesus Christ will experience that has a way of affecting every aspect of our being, whether it's our relationships or our purpose or our career or anything. All of these things are an expression of the life that God gives us through Jesus Christ. I think a parallel to that would be the Jewish notion of shalom, shalom, peace. It's a deep, permeating peace that infiltrates and transforms every aspect of our lives. And so for this month of January, as we look to 2017, I want to focus particularly on life-sharing community. I want to talk about community for this month. How does the abundant life that God gives us transform what we call community, particularly as expressed through the local church. I've kind of shared these contrasts before, but I thought it'd be appropriate to do so in today's message. But this is our retreat picture from six years ago. Uh, And this is a picture of our retreat this last summer, okay? So, listen, we're still a small church, but I think arguably... Year to year, we're becoming a little less of a small church, okay? But we're still a small church. Here is a picture of our children's ministry six years ago. And here are just the lower primary kids, okay, taken a couple weeks ago. This doesn't even include toddlers and infants and youth group and upper primary, okay? This is just lower primary in our church, okay? It's interesting, my screensaver on my computer... um, just cycles through pictures of ICC, going all the way back to 2009. And so whenever that screensaver kicks up on my computer, I'm suddenly reminded of all of these faces that used to worship with us, but for whatever reason, uh, no longer are part of our church family. And sometimes some of those faces that show up on my computer screen, you know, bring a tinge of pain or of sorrow that they're not with us anymore. Um, I'm also surprised as the screensaver cycles through the pictures of all the new faces that have become a part of the ICC family over the years. And just when I think about the history of our church, we've gone through quite a lot, even in the last couple years. Uh, We've changed locations at least a couple times. We've gained three elders and lost two elders. Uh, We left our denomination and started our own network. And as I look at this whole journey and when we think about this idea of 
ICC or Emmanuel Community Church, it, it really you know, caused me to think, what is ICC? In all of the changes we've gone through, are we the same church that we were 10 years ago? And if not, then what does it even mean to call something ICC? Because what I would argue is ICC is, is not a philosophy. It's not an idea. ICC is, is not a weekly service, a performance. At its core, ICC is a community, isn't it? We're a community. What we're saying is wherever our journey has taken us, And wherever our journey will take us in the years to come, what we are meaning when we say ICC is what we represent is a group of believers who are committed to sharing life together and going on this journey as one body, one family, as we seek out his will for our church. And I want to say this is church is tough, isn't it? I've said this before behind this pulpit. Church is arguably the toughest thing you're going to attempt to do as a Christian. I think for a lot of us, Christianity would be so much simpler, in fact, if church wasn't part of the equation, you know? It's like, if I could just have my devotions and listen to my podcasts and hang out with my college buddies, like, life is good, you know, that's all I need. But you add local church to the layer, and it complicates things. Because now you introduce other people. And it's tough. What I've really come to learn for a lot of people is, for a lot of Christians, they have this singular moment in their Christian history in which they had the, the most awesome church experience. You know, Like that was my church. That was the church I loved, that I fell in love with. And it, for many people, it feels like the rest of your life is chasing after that. You know? You're longing for that ideal that you once knew. And the truth is, for some of you, you come to ICC and you've, you've just jumped headfirst, and it's been so easy for you to transition into our church family. But at the same time, I know for many of you, it's a struggle. You are really struggling and saying, I don't know. Are these my people? I, sometimes I feel like it, and then I have a bad week, and I say, we've got to look for another church. And I just don't know. And I, I want to honor that struggle. I want to acknowledge it. It's tough. It's tough. We see this ideal of what church ought to be, and yet the reality often falls short. And we can often struggle to say, man, I just don't know if this is my tribe. I don't know if these are my people. It's so hard. And as we go through this month looking at community, I want to ask these questions. What does our community look like here at ICC? What should it look like based on God's design? What are the hallmarks that ought to define a Christian community as it's laid out in Scripture? The key passage that gives sort of the subtitle to our series, God's Wisdom on Display, comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 through 11. It says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Paul is saying is that God's most powerful display of his work in this world 
will be demonstrated through this entity called the church. What God intends is that his will, his eternal purpose be known by what happens in the church. We, in essence, become the public display of God's power at work. And I think that's awesome. That's amazing. And yet, I think that also raises a lot of questions. Is that really true? Is God's greatest glory being declared right now by the church of Jesus Christ and by what people see in Christians today? Another thing that I want you to note here in these, in this, these verses is that it implies that what will strike the world about the church is that it can only be explained supernaturally, okay? There is something so unique, so unusual, so powerful about the community of the church that it gives glory to God. People say, I don't know how to explain this group of people in any other way than that something is happening in their midst that I can't explain by human terms. And that raises another question too. Is, is that true of the church? You know, I want to say there's something very moving and powerful about hearing the testimony of individual believers and what God has done in their lives uniquely. It, there is. But what Paul would argue is this, is those individual testimonies cannot tell the full story of God's purpose in our world. You can't see the full wisdom of God on display until you actually take a step back and look at the big picture and not look at any individual life of a believer, but see the community that they form and what is happening in fellowship with one another. It's only when you can see that that you understand the wisdom of God and what he is doing. And you say, wow, that's amazing. That is God's ultimate purpose in salvation is to put the church on display to this world and say, you want to believe in the existence of God? You want to believe that this God is real? Look at the church. Look at the community that he's building worldwide among every tribe, every nation, every people group and realize that there is a God in heaven. If we're going to become the community that God wants us to become, we have to be intentional about the nature of the relationships that we have with one another. Okay? What I am saying is this, is when we're talking about the kind of community that God wills for us here at ICC, we have to start at the level of culture. Okay? And I want to unpack that a little bit for you in order to understand um, what we're talking about here. Um, this experiment was done by a university lab some years back in which they took four monkeys, okay? What they did was they put these monkeys together in a closed-off area, and they put a pole, and on this pole, they put some bananas. And they just watched the behavior of monkeys, and very predictably, they all quickly figured out the pecking order, and the alpha male would get all the bananas, and then more opportunistic, less dominant monkeys would be 
figuring out ways to steal a few bananas here and there. And then they changed the situation. They put a bucket of water above this pole. And every time a monkey went for the bananas, they dumped this water. And monkeys don't like getting wet, okay? So they drenched these monkeys with water. And they all scream and protest, and they freak out. And then it didn't take long before the monkeys learned, don't, these are not good bananas, okay? If you go for them, you just get wet. So they completely shut down the banana hunt, right? No one going for bananas anymore. Then they changed the conditions again, and they began to take one of these four monkeys out and replace it with a new monkey that didn't know about the water bucket. And what they found was this monkey obviously doesn't understand the situation, so he's just going for the bananas, going, free bananas, going up. But interestingly, the other three monkeys screamed and smacked the other monkey and yelled and pulled its hair and just protested and didn't let the monkey go for the bananas. Because monkeys love each other, I guess, you know? And so they were being very protective, saying, don't, you're just going to get wet. So this monkey's confused. He doesn't know what's going on, but he learns. Well, they just keep doing this, swapping out one of the older monkeys for new ones. And they do this for generations. Keep doing it, and the same thing happens. And then, toward the end of this experiment, something utterly unexpected happened that the experimenters didn't anticipate. The new monkeys would begin to be introduced, but after a while, there was no smacking, no screaming, no hollering, no hair pulling. But every time a new monkey was introduced to this room, it didn't go for the bananas. It didn't. And the experimenters couldn't figure this out. How could these new monkeys know not to go for these bananas? They even took away the water pail, okay? There was no more water pail anymore. What they realized was somehow, through some unspoken way, the older monkeys were communicating to the newer monkeys, don't touch those bananas. They're bad bananas. Don't go for them. In other words, it became a culture in that room, okay? Is monkeys who don't eat bananas, okay? Because they're afraid of them. Now, you may think, what in the world am I talking about monkeys and bananas here? But it speaks to the power of culture, doesn't it? It's to say this. We can make all kinds of claims about what we are as ICC and what our values are. And we can write mission statements. And we can put huge banners, look at this blank wall here, with huge community banners and say, this is what ICC represents. But here is the thing, is the most honest statement about ICC's belief about community will be revealed not in a mission statement or in a banner we print, but in our culture, right? In our culture. What do we as a church really believe about community? In other words, what is the unspoken culture of ICC? How deeply committed are we to one another? How are we helping each other to grow spiritually? How do we demonstrate love as a church? When somebody is hurting or in need of help, who do we think is responsible for helping that person? The church members? The pastors? The elders? 
You see, we're talking about culture here, right? We're talking about what do we really value? What do we really believe to be true about what church is supposed to be like? In other words, if our church culture is going to be faithfully reflecting God's heart on this matter of community, then we don't start with mission statements or core values or starting new ministries. I mean, we could do all of this. We could have icebreaker gatherings and we can even do square dancing and we can whatever. I don't know. We make a list of stuff and go, now we have fellowship, you know? Now that's community. But what I'm going to say is this, and it's going to drive everything I'm going to share this month, is it has to start with our beliefs. What we believe to be true it has to be a place of faith that drives the actions that we take toward one another. In other words, before we wrestle with what we have to do, we must first understand what God has done in this matter of community. One of the central passages that helps us to understand this in the Bible is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 to 22. And it says this, For he himself is our peace, speaking of Jesus Christ, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, this is kind of a dense passage that can be confusing, but in essence, what Paul is saying here is this. There are two hostilities that he's addressing here. The primary hostility is between all people and God because of our sin. Because of our sin, God has become our enemy. We have become enemies of God. We have become hostile toward God. But Christ brought peace with God to us by dying on the cross, by repenting of our sins and believing in what Christ has done for us. We have peace with God. But then what Paul says is there is another hostility that was also in play here. And that is our hostility with one another. Particularly, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles who basically hated each other. They hated each other. And they wanted nothing to do with each other. They didn't eat together. They lived separately. He said when Christ died on the cross, he solved that hostility as well by bringing people of all different backgrounds, 
Regardless of where you came from, and it says, he says, he created one new humanity. In other words, what Paul is saying is, is, through the cross, he gives everyone who believes an entirely new identity under one family. To be part of a new redeemed community that he is creating. And that is the foundation of community among the people of God. Is my new identity gives me an entirely new relationship with a group of people that otherwise I would not associate with, that I feel I have nothing in common with. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 to 29, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to to the promise. Do you hear the strong words that Paul is saying here? No matter what background you come from, no matter what people in your past you didn't get along with, when you become a Christian, you become part of one people that together God is using to build for himself a house where he can dwell. In other words, this, let me say this. I think pastors and other church leaders often talk about creating community, right? That's a sort of a buzzword is, how can we create community at ICC? But what Paul is saying is we don't actually create community. God is the one that has already created community through the cross of Jesus Christ. It is fundamentally a work of God to bring people of all different backgrounds together to be one church family that humanly would have been impossible. And so if we're going to think about the kind of church that we ought to be, it has to start with how we view ourselves fundamentally. What is the most important detail about yourself and your identity? In other words, if I were to say, I am blank, how would you fill in that blank? What's the first term that comes into your mind? I am a man. I am a woman. I am Korean. I am Filipino. I'm Chinese. I'm Indian. I don't know. How would you fill in that blank? And what Paul is saying is the way community happens, according to the gospel, is the first thing you say is, I am a Christian. I'm a child of God. I'm a member of an entirely new family created by him. And that is my primary identity. That's what I see when I look in the mirror. Jamie Dunlop says this, Being a Christian is more fundamental to your identity than your family, your ethnicity, your profession, your nationality, your sexuality, your personality, or any other way this world defines identity. And so the unity you share with every Christian supersedes every other bond. That means that wherever gospel people exist, diversity should as well. Diversity grows naturally from the gospel. In other words, we don't try to aim for diversity as a goal in and of itself, but diversity will naturally happen among the people of God because of the unity that God achieves by saving people from so many different backgrounds. This is the honest question that I have to ask myself as a middle-aged Korean-American male. Is with whom do I feel 
more kinship. A middle-aged, middle-income, college-educated Asian-American professional who plays tennis and enjoys cooking and photography (laughs) but doesn't know God? Or a high school-educated Russian truck driver who loves the Lord? Who do I actually feel closer to? Who do I consider to be someone that I would want to be a friend with? And I know the natural instinct of my own heart. But what the gospel says is it's the guy on the right. (laughs) That's my brother in Christ. That's the person that when I look at that person and say, he is family, and this other guy is a stranger. Yeah, we have same hobbies, but what are hobbies, you know? when I'm talking about the very essence of who I am as a person, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to say is this. If you kind of look at this illustration, you laugh at it and say, oh, come on, be realistic. Then the place to begin is prayer. It's not about programs. It's about prayer and saying, God, I don't see it this way. I just don't. I don't have the perspective of myself and I don't have that perspective on others. The truth is, I just naturally surround myself with people that are just like me, who share my interests, who look like me, who have the same color hair, same color skin. These are my people. And what the gospel says, your people, if you are a follower of Christ, is anyone that shares the love of God that you do. Many of you know who John Piper is. He's a pastor from Minnesota, uh, the Twin Cities area, uh, author of many best-selling books. Piper underwent this very interesting journey in which he had to confront later in his life the depths to which he was raised, as difficult as it was for him to acknowledge, as a racist. Because he grew up in the South, where racism was so embedded into the culture that it was basically the air you breathe, you know? You don't even realize you're racist because everyone acts the same way. And yet, the deeper Piper got into his Christian faith, the more he could look back at his racist heritage and say, that was messed up. There's something wrong with that. And allowing the work of God to transform how he viewed, particularly African-Americans around him. So I want to show his testimony a little bit, and it's going to run about 10 minutes. It's going to take a little bit of time, but I think it's worth watching of the journey that Piper went on to wrestle with what it means, the implication of the gospel in changing the way we view others. So let's watch it together, and I'll continue. It's a powerful testimony, isn't it? of a man who grew up in the South, the racist South, where blacks were not even allowed to step into his sanctuary. And through the work of the gospel in his life, would later in his life, at the age of 50, come to adopt an African-American girl and raise her as his own daughter. It's the power of the gospel to transform the deepest part of our identity and how we view ourselves. This 
is a work of God that does it. It doesn't start with a program or starting a new ministry. It starts with belief, the most core belief about who you are as a child of God and how that transforms how you view others. James Dunlop says again, Jamie Dunlop again, he says, in gospel-revealing community, many relationships would never exist but for the truth and power of the gospel, either because of the depth of care for each other or because two people in relationship have little in common but Christ. When Christians unite around something other than the gospel, they create community that would likely exist even if God didn't. As a modern-day Tower of Babel, that community glorifies their strength instead of God's. While recognizing our tendency toward similarity, we should aspire toward community where similarity isn't necessary, where no strand of similarity in the congregation explains the whole congregation. That kind of community defies naturalistic explanations. Um, <clears throat> One last verse I want to look at, and I'm going to wrap up here, is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. And I said earlier that this idea of creating community is God's work, not ours, but we do have a role to play. And look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. In other words, our call is to maintain what God has created by walking in the Spirit and living in a manner worthy of the calling that we have been given. And so the two ways that I simply want to challenge you as I wrap up today is this. Paul, in Ephesians 2, talked about these walls of hostility that exist between us and others. And maybe the place for some of us to start is, where are those walls of hostility in your own heart? Maybe part of the difficulty of this message is that you're going to have to confront your own racism, you know? The things that you really believe about other people, you know? Koreans are blank. Filipinos are, you know, uh, you know those white people, right? And you know what Indians are like. What are your stereotypes? What are the things that make you hard to have fellowship with others? And say, you know, I just can't get over that. I'm just not like them. I just can't relate to them. And I want you to be challenged not only in terms of race, but also there are so many ways we divide ourselves age. We have a good age range here. You could be ageist, right? Um, Listen, there have been repeated requests to me to say, could we sing some more traditional hymns, you know? Because if we only sing millennial songs, (laughs) then what are we saying, right? We're a millennial church or something like that, right? Um, Socioeconomic class, blue collar, white collar, God knows 2016 we were divided by politics, right? We had a really difficult conversation in one of our community groups right after the election because we realized we had Trump supporters and Hillary Clinton supporters in the same small group. And it got really tense, you know? It's like, oh, man. 
There are so many ways we build these walls of hostility with one another. But what the gospel says is the cross shatters all of that and says your primary identity is a child of God. And when you look across the room and you, as a Democrat, see that Republican, you ought to see a sister in Christ. You ought to see a brother in Christ. And you ought to say, I love you. The other thing that I want to say is this. Maybe you say, listen, I don't have a racist bone in me, okay? It's like I I live by that motto, live and let live. I don't care what color you are, how much money you make, what car you drive. I really don't care. But I want to challenge those of you who say that. And I want to argue that your just benign goodwill (laughs) does not equal biblical love. Biblical love is active. Biblical love is pursuing. Biblical love is not just live and let live. It is you are my brother and I owe you a debt of commitment. If you are in need, I will be there to help you. That is biblical love. And so maybe you're not a racist. Maybe you're just a very passive, easygoing person that just let everyone live and let live. But maybe what you need to hear from this message is the truth is The only community you surround yourself with are people that are just like you. And listen, I don't want you to leave this room feeling guilty because, oh, I've got so many Korean friends. I've got to defriend them all on Facebook. (laughs) I'm not saying that, okay? What I'm saying is that cannot be the only relationships that you have in your life. Can you stretch yourself a little? Can you get out of your comfort zone and have some intentional friendships that would not exist if it wasn't for Christ. The only reason I am with this person is because of what Christ has done in both of our lives. And so I love you like a brother. I love you like a sister. This is where I want to start this month because I am going to talk about ways I would like to see our church reshaped, but it has to start at this place of faith. Let's pray.